Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. I will always choose a red wave over a green screen. It's high noon for Wednesday, March 17th, 2021. Follow the podcast on Gavin Parlor at I'm Your Moderator or on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm Your Moderator. You can join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm Reasonable. Also, if you want a shirt or a sticker, for real, there are stickers. I don't know who buys stickers, but some people do, and they like put them on their computer and stuff, or maybe on their car, but I'm not a sticker guy. Nonetheless, there are stickers, and there are mugs at www.cancelcotour.com. Now, today is the 56th full day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist, dummy, fake proxy president, Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party. He is also the patriarch of what may well be the most corrupt family criminal enterprise in the history of the United States of America, and he is the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever exist. So congratulations, America. You elected the sort of person that truly represents who you really are. It's hard to tell anymore 
what's actually more fraudulent. The election, Biden voters themselves, or Biden himself. And they're all just neck and neck. I mean, the election was clearly fraudulent. And I'm going to get to this great Molly Hemingway piece in The Federalist. It's a long one, so I, I, and I want to go through it because I think that, again, election integrity and the election fraud that happened in 2020 is by far the most important issue we could possibly imagine. It's everything. There is nothing if we can't trust that we are able to vote and elect the officials we want to serve in government. If we can't do that, there is nothing. There is no society. There is only a ruling class and people who do their bidding. Like, for instance, going to get vaccines when you're 35 for a disease that has a literally 3 in 10,000 chance of killing you if you get it. And you probably won't get it because a lot of people have prior immunity. And because you're not generally around people with COVID. So last night I went to a comedy show. And to get into this comedy show, everyone was forced to take COVID tests, which means they jam some shit up each one of your nostrils and then come back later and tell you you're fine. You have to fill out a form where you sign multiple things. It asks for your your uh, race, ethnicity, and gender, I believe. I don't know what the difference between race and ethnicity is on these forms, but okay. So I put N.A., in both of those slots, and then a question mark for gender. Because that's what they want, right? I mean, we're all supposed to be genderless. That's the whole point, isn't it? Today, <laughs> The Hill uh, tweeted out this the, the cover of Time Magazine that has Ellen Page pretending to be a man on the cover. And The Hill wrote that Ellen Page or Elliot Page was the first openly transgender man on the cover of Time. So, which is fine, whatever. This is just how our culture is now. But openly transgender? I mean, what? That's just implying that other transgender men have been on the cover of Time and no one knew about it. I mean, what in the world are they talking about? Why not just say transgender man, right? Obviously, if they're saying that the person is transgender, then they must be openly so. That's the whole thing <laughs> about declaring to the world that you're trans. If the world doesn't know that, then it would just be a man on Time Magazine. And then eventually we would all find out that we had been tricked. 
right? Oh, well, what we thought was a man on the cover turns out, oddly enough, was just a secret transgender man the entire time. Okay. Thank goodness we have an open one out there <laughs> to to knock down all the barriers between being tra- a transgender man and being on the cover of Time. I wonder if there are any other potential barriers that might be relevant to being on the cover of Time. Oh, you have to be famous or newsworthy. Got it. Okay, so that's the real barrier to being on the cover of Time. Not being transgender openly. I mean, (laughs) what in the world have we come to? Do words mean anything anymore? That is what I want to know. Do words mean anything? Because openly transgender is implying that they had other transgender men on there but they were all keeping it a secret. Who are you keeping it a secret from? From us? Maybe they were keeping it a secret from themselves. Also, why are we pretending that this is some kind of accomplishment? It's not. Ellen Page didn't do anything other than say, hey, I want you to call me Elliot now and pretend I'm a man. And again, listen, I know that the thing I'm doing can be called, quote unquote, dead naming, but there's literally no other way to talk about this. And I'm going to talk about it, so I'm going to talk about it however I damn well please. I don't have any hatred for the person, and I'm happy to call her a him and call Ellen Elliot. And so that's what I'll do from now on. But I just want to be sure that everybody knows we're talking about the actress, Ellen Page, who was in Inception and various other films as a woman and was living her entire life as a woman. And nothing has changed except she decided that now we all have to pretend she's a man and call her Elliot. That is the only difference between now and the before times, okay? So really, what happened? That would be like me deciding that I want to be called Eddard Stark, King of the North. And now everyone has to call me Eddard. And no, not Ned and not Ed. No nicknames. Because I am not the same Eddard Stark that was in Game of Thrones. I am a different Eddard Stark. We just happen to share a name and both be King of the North. Nothing else changes. But I would appreciate, from now on, being called... Eddard Stark, King of the North. And you cannot shorten it. And you also have to say the title part. And I have magical powers, but you are not allowed to know about them because I'm not openly magical at this time. Or at least 
I'm not open about which sorts of magic I possess. I'm telling you that I do possess magic. Maybe someday I will do a trick or perform a miracle. But until then, I'm going to be closeted about what my magical powers are, but I am open about the fact that everyone must now call me Eddard Stark, King of the North. I legitimately don't understand how we are continuing to pretend that these things are news. Okay? Again, I have no problem at all with a person identifying the way they want to identify. I also have no problem with being polite to that person and calling them by the name they choose when I'm around them, if I ever am. But I'm not going to sit here and be told that I must pretend that reality is different than it is or else I might, what, vicariously hurt a celebrity's feelings. Pass. Don't care. And I mean that for, for real. Like, this is, whatever she decides, or he has decided, about his or her identity, is not interesting. It's not my business. I don't give two shits, and it's not news. The fact that Time Magazine has that on the cover as if it is news is, again, just another sign of cultural rot. It's absurd. And by the way, The Hill, Time Magazine is like 40 years behind Sports Illustrated. Bruce Jenner was on the cover of Sports Illustrated in the 80s. And Bruce Jenner was a man. Caitlyn Jenner is a transgender woman. But they're both the same person, which means Sports Illustrated had a transgender person in the 80s. Sports Illustrated has also had Caitlyn Jenner on it. Why do we have to care that Ellen Page wants to wear boys' clothes? Definitely didn't mean to talk about that for that long. I actually was, uh, I, I only saw that on The Hill's Twitter because I was looking for the original post of this media footage that got released yesterday of uh, the fake president, Joe Biden, apparently pretending to speak to a fake media before he fake took off from the White House. And I don't know how or why anyone is trying to excuse this video or say that it's not a big deal. Um, if you haven't seen it, you should go see it, okay? It's in the info stream, uh, t.me slash I'm your moderator. And the video shows Joe Biden walking up to a gaggle of reporters outside of the White House before he boards Marine One to take off and go home to Wilmington, supposedly, right? In this video, and it's 
it's unmistakable. Okay, people are saying it's a depth thing. It's a it's a visual trick or something. No, 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 no. This video is a hundred percent fake. Okay, it's doctored, it's manipulated, whatever you like to call it, and it's totally possible that elements of the video are real, obviously. But the video is still doctored. You can watch Joe Biden's hand cover up a microphone that is in front of him. That's not supposed to happen, okay? You know, because of physics. You also hear a really loud whirring of helicopter blades that aren't spinning. Because you can see in the video that the blades aren't spinning. So what's making the sound, media? Now, this is a post from an account named uh, Three Sevens on Gab. I don't know who or what this person is or does, or maybe this is a business. I have no idea. But this is a pretty good summary of what's going on, okay? So he or she writes, there are damage control shills trying to change the narrative about the recent Biden video, saying that only the mics were edited in post. This is clearly not the case because a cutout of Biden's hand floats over the microphone and he has the video there too, or she. The mics were added in post, but so was a chroma keyed Joe Biden. This was a layering mistake during compositing. Joe was green screened, The mics were green screened, probably video assets that they reuse often. They were all overlaid on top of a film set, but someone goofed and put one of the microphone layers behind the Joe Biden layer. It even has the signature rough edges you get from chroma keying. If mics were edited in post, Biden was on the lawn and walking to Marine One. If Biden was on a green screen, there was state media film crew recording nothing on an indoor film set, and Biden was not walking to Marine One. The news will report this as a, quote, post-production error, end quote, and continue on with their propaganda. Don't be fooled. This was a green screen. You know, obviously, I don't know if it was a green screen or not, but I do know that this video was manipulated and doctored and is fake, and There is no reason, there is no justifiable reason why the media would need to Photoshop in microphones, okay? So even that explanation is nonsense. Like, even if that is legitimately what happened, that should be a signal to all of us that they are more than happy to manipulate the videos that they show, okay? But it actually is worse than that, and you can look at it and see that it's worse than that. Now, I don't think that there's a smart, informed person in the world who trusts the mainstream media at all. And if you are a person listening to this who trusts the mainstream media at all, then I'm sorry, but yes, that applies to you. You cannot be smart or informed and trust the mainstream media, okay? It's got to be, maybe you can be one or the other. You can be smart and totally uninformed, Or you can be informed and dumb. But you can't be both if you trust the mainstream media. Now, the idea that people think this isn't a big deal is that doesn't sit right with me. 
Okay? This is a big deal. We should be able to find out how this happened, first of all. And that would be an amazing reveal to all of us, right? There's no reason. Why would you put a microphone in, in post? Oh, you know what's wrong with this video? Not enough microphones. What? What? Who would ever spend the time and the energy and probably the money? Because you got to hire a film editor, right? Who would do that? Who in the world would do that? No news organization would do that. It makes no sense. And even if that's true, it does not explain the helicopter sound while the helicopter is off. So, should we expect that there's another helicopter there? The invisible helicopter theory? There was a second helicopter on the grassy knoll? Oh, oh, breaking news out of Washington. There was a second helicopter on the grassy knoll. And that helicopter, well, its blades were whirring fast enough for both helicopters. In fact, that helicopter carried Marine One to Wilmington, Delaware. That's how much there were two helicopters there. How can anyone think this doesn't matter? It's funny, too, because, you know, there are smart people who think this doesn't matter, too. Like, I actually was in the, the war room chat earlier and, and brought this up. I was like, did they cover this yet? And people in there tried to say that this was noise and not signal. And Rahim Kassam even said that the video is, you know, it's just a trick of the eye and he saw other angles where it was real. Well, no, you didn't. If you saw other angles, that just means that the other angles didn't make the same editing error. Because the angle you can see, and by the way, I have seen other angles that also have problems, but the angle you can see in the video that The Hill tweeted out yesterday has a problem. It doesn't matter if the other angle looks fine. This angle shows you the truth. And the truth is the video was edited. And it was put together in a production studio or maybe on somebody's laptop because it's so bad. And none of that explains the helicopter. Okay, this is propaganda. In fact, it's hard to even call it propaganda because I don't know what purpose it serves, but this is proof that the entire thing is just a charade. And it's very, very strange because Biden didn't even answer the questions. There were two questions asked. The first was whether or not he was planning to travel to the southern border. And he said, not at the moment. And he made this weird hand motion that he's like jabbing down with his right hand. And that's when the the microphone thing happens. And then the second question was whether or not he'd decided on countries that would be receiving our surplus vaccines first. I think that's what I heard. It was a little... 
you know, it's a little difficult to hear the reporters with that very real helicopter <laughs> and the whirring of the very real helicopter blades kind of drowned out the reporters. Or maybe it was their masks. But Joe Biden also gave a pointless answer to that, too. He basically said he's been talking to a bunch of countries, but that they haven't made any decisions or something. And first off, we know that Kamala apparently is the one talking to other countries, not Joe. And (laughs) neither of them are talking to North Korea because Kim Jong-un won't respond to them. Why? Well, it could be because Kim Jong-un is crazy and that's how people are going to play it. But it also could be that it's because Joe Biden isn't president. Does it count as saying it out loud if I whisper it? Now, do I know that's true? No, I don't. Okay. I admit that. I always admit it. But to think that he just definitely is in an election that you know was fraudulent and an administration who can't seem to do anything other than sign executive orders and I guess put his pen to the ridiculous COVID relief package, which doesn't spend money this year except for the checks that go out to people that aren't protected from being claimed by collection agencies. So if you have debt and they're sending a stimulus check to you to help you, for instance, eat, pay rent, or pay your mortgage, you might not get that money because the debt collector is going to take it. So really, who are they bailing out? Oh, the debt collector. That's right. So yeah, Joe, I guess, has accomplished that. All the other spending is down the line. So we have a government that legitimately doesn't seem to have the, the ability to spend money. That's a little strange, don't you think? And we have a fake president who's literally being photoshopped. Well, I don't know what the right word is for for the video, but uh, essentially photoshopped into locations where he simply is not. That has to be a big deal, okay? It has to be. If Joe Biden is not at the White House... Why are we being told by the media and by Joe Biden that he is at the White House? Why does anyone need to edit the sound of helicopter blades into a video? Would it be strange, too strange for Biden to just go and get into the helicopter And then they start the blades. Is that too weird for us? The blades weren't spinning. The sound of the blades spinning was put into the video. Why? The Joe Biden layer looks like it's in the front. That's why it covers the mic. Why? Why? We know Joe Biden isn't living at the White House. We know Kamala Harris isn't living at the vice president residency. She's at Blair House, which is like the White House's guest house. Why? Why? Why don't we deserve to know these things, mainstream media? 
these issues, if they if if this was happening to Donald Trump, right? Imagine, imagine the chaos, the media furor that would be happening right now. Donald Trump, not at White House. Mike Pence, not at Vice President's house. Donald Trump photoshopped into video. Right? Those would be massive stories. They would be on that 24 hours a day. Why isn't the president at the White House? Why isn't the vice president living at the vice president's residence and instead living at the White House guest area? Why is that? A responsible media would tell us. I mean, I don't expect that we have a responsible. But the fact that these questions are just allowed to sit out there with apparently no answer. That's crazy. And it's a little ridiculous that people are called conspiracy theorists for noticing these things. Okay. This is basically like if the person you're with, like in a relationship with, they call you and they tell you that they're somewhere, but it turns out they're actually somewhere else, like the strip club or something. That's a lie. You would not trust that person anymore. That would cause serious problems in your relationship. But when the media lies to us about where Joe Biden is and lies to us about the content of this video that we can see with our own eyes, the helicopter blades are not spinning. Joe Biden's hand goes over the microphone in front of the microphone that is in front of him. Okay, it is not possible that what it looks like on video happened in real life. Okay, just physics. Use your eyes. Look at it. The video is not fake. I mean, in terms of it existing, it's real. The Hill put it out. Now, the Hill is a fake news outlet. But they also really did it, right? It's not like it's the some internet conspiracy fake version of The Hill. It's really there on The Hill's Twitter. You can watch it. A real, quote-unquote, news organization put that out. That's the same thing as calling up and saying that you are somewhere you're not. Okay? Just straight-up dishonest. It's not a conspiracy theory and it's not conspiratorial thinking to point that out and say, hey, I can tell that I'm being lied to right now. And you know what? I don't like it very much. So someone go ahead and explain this. And until you do, it's a big deal. Because that's the man you're telling all of us is the president. Oh, and what else? Last week. After his Rose Garden speech, Joe Biden couldn't figure out which way to go to get back into the White House. Doesn't that bother anyone? Are we not allowed to be bothered by the fact that the man who was already vice president and clearly knows his way around the White House didn't know which way to go back inside? 
You also had Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden mentioning about how they were in the Rose Garden. Oh, it's so nice of you to join us in this Rose Garden. That's definitely here where I am. It's so great to see all of you happy people in this thing that is definitely the Rose Garden and definitely not anywhere else. I am definitely in the Rose Garden. And again, not saying they're not in the Rose Garden. They very well probably were. Let's say that, right? Like if gun to my head, I'd be like, ah, man. Yeah, all right, fine. I guess they were. But how many more of these like ridiculous reality-defying things do we have to see? Joe Biden, demented as he is, knows where the door of the White House is from the Rose Garden. Don't you think? And the media has an obligation to be truthful about this stuff. That's literally their job. And this on the heels of the Washington Post correction These are not news organizations. I think that we are all clear about that. This is state media. This is propaganda. But they're not even good at it. And for us to just say, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's really weird, but it's not a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. This is obvious propaganda being disseminated to a massive portion of the country. That same portion that believes that Black Lives Matter, the organization, is a force for good in the world. Or that Antifa doesn't exist. Joy Behar said that on The View yesterday, or maybe this morning. I don't watch The View. I just saw the the article about it. How could you believe those things? Well, the only way you could believe those things is that A, you want to, and B, you have state media telling you the thing you want to be true. The same reason why they don't believe in election fraud, because they haven't looked. They believe the media. End of story. The same media is photoshopping the president into his appearances. I'm not going to lie about that. And no one else should be either. This is happening. It's very strange. It is a problem. Let's stop pretending it's not. All right. So I want to get to this Molly Hemingway article in The Federalist. Uh, This is today or at least updated today. Uh, Media's entire Georgia narrative is fraudulent, not just the fabricated Trump quotes. Molly Hemingway, first of all, is awesome. She's one of the best out there. The Federalist does a great job. Uh, She and Sean Davis are both on top of so much. They really are great. And if you're still on Twitter, they're good follows. But. Again, everybody should be off all of legacy media. The Washington Post was busted for publishing fabricated quotes from an anonymous source, attributing them to a sitting president and using those quotes as a basis to speculate the president committed a crime. The invented Donald Trump quotes, which related to a fight over election integrity in Georgia, were cited in Democrats impeachment brief and during the Senate impeachment trial. But the fake quotes, bad as they were, are just one of many ways the media have done a horrible job covering election disputes in the state. According to the media narrative, the Georgia presidential election was as perfectly run as any election in history, and anyone who says otherwise is a liar. To push that narrative, the media steadfastly downplayed, ignored, or prejudiciously dismissed legitimate concerns with how Georgia had run its November 2020 election and complaints about it. 
That posture was the complete opposite of how they were reporting on Georgia elections prior to Democrats performing well in them. In the months prior to November, some media sounded a bit like Lynn Wood when they wrote about Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, Dominion voting systems, legal challenges in the state, and Georgia election integrity in general. Now, I don't think that she's being insulting to Lynn Wood at all. I think she's just saying that the media back then used to say the same things Lynn Wood is saying now. So the things that Lynn Wood is saying now, being things that the media used to say, means that back then to them, to those people, was legitimate. But now Lynn Wood is a conspiracy theorist. All he's doing is saying the things that they used to say. That's what she's pointing out. And that's a great point. It's true. Again, I don't know. Some people still haven't seen this or haven't heard me say it because I don't mention that it that often. But there's a documentary right now on HBO called Kill Chain. That is all about machine based election fraud. There's nothing conspiratorial about it then, except for the fact that they think that that's what got Trump the win in 2016. Thanks to Russia. That part is definitely conspiracy theory. But there are Democrats in that documentary talking about voting machine fraud. Amy Klobuchar is one of them, and she ran for president. She actually was one of like the final five contenders on the Democrat side before they decided that they would cheat Joe into winning. I mean, I guess they probably decided that much earlier whenever they realized that no one actually likes Kamala Harris at all. Okay, so how media talked about Georgia before Biden won. Georgia's election mess, many problems, plenty of blame, few solutions for November, read the June 10th, 2020 New York Times headline of a story by Richard Fawcett and Reed Epstein about the, quote, disastrous primary election, end quote, in June that was, quote, plagued by glitches. But Democrats also saw a systemic effort to disenfranchise voters. Okay, citing irregularities with absentee ballots and peculiarities at polling sites, the author said Georgia's embattled election officials were dealing with a voting system that suffered a, quote, spectacular collapse. They said it was unclear whether the problems were caused by, quote, mere bungling or an intentional effort, end quote, by Raffensperger and his fellow Republicans in the Secretary of State's office. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's the Republicans. Actually, it is the corrupt Republicans, but it's also the human election fraud machine, Stacey Abrams. Georgia's troubled system would be exacerbated by voting by mail and the increased burden of handling absentee ballots, the article said. The trouble that plunged Georgia's voting system into chaos, that's a quote, was related to its Dominion voting system, which, quote, some election experts had been sounding alarm bells about for months, end quote. Indeed, they had. Georgia likely to plow ahead with buying insecure voting machines, wrote Politico's Eric Geller in March 2019 about the plan to replace voting machines. He said cybersecurity experts, election integrity advocates, and Georgia Democrats had all warned about the security problems of the new machines, which would be electronic, but also spit out a marked paper ballot. Security experts warn that an intruder can corrupt the machines and alter the barcode-based ballots without voters or election officials realizing it, he wrote. It was alleged that a, quote, meaningful audit was, quote, impossible. 
When Georgia picked Dominion voting systems in August 2019, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution warned, quote, critics say the system will still be vulnerable to hacking, end quote, citing high-profile hacks of Capital One and Equifax, as well as the online attacks on Atlanta and Georgia courts. Election officials will have to be on guard against malware, viruses, stolen passwords, and Russian interference, the article continued. Yes, Russians. Molly Hemingway actually wrote that. That's not my comment. That's amazing. Sounds like something I would say. Georgia in uproar over voting meltdown, the New York Times proclaimed in a June 9th, 2020 story, citing problems with the Dominion voting systems and Raffensperger's management of the election. The machines bought by the state last year were instantly controversial. Security experts said they were insecure. Privacy experts worried that the screens could be seen from nearly 30 feet away. I don't know what a privacy expert is. <laughs> so weird, man. Budget hawks balked at the price tag. And one of Dominion Voting Systems lobbyists, Jared Samuel Thomas, has deep connections to Governor Brian Kemp, the Republican who defeated Ms. Abrams in 2018, the article read. Washington Post went with, quote, as Georgia rolls out new voting machines for 2020, worries about election security persist. The article said election security experts said the state's newest voting machines also remain vulnerable to potential intrusions or malfunctions. And some view the paper records they produce as insufficient if a verified audit of the vote is needed. Again, a hundred percent right on that part. And I've talked about this before with the adjudication. The machine literally spits out the post-adjudication ballot. Got it? So the original ballot that the voter cast is gone, right? It creates a new ballot image and a new paper ballot. And this is what they call the paper ballot so that people will think it's actually the ballot marked by the voter. It's not. It's a ballot produced by the machine post-adjudication, okay? And that is what they leave available to be checked, to be audited. Not the original voter's intent, just the thing that's in the machine. This is a massive problem. Anyone with common sense can see that. It's just a matter of whether or not that person cares. And the fact that many people don't care should tell you where their priorities are. It's not with the country, it's not with honesty, it's not with the truth, and it's not with freedom of speech or fair elections. To pretend that what is that these people actually care about any of those things, that they are at all patriotic, that they care about the less fortunate, all of that is a lie, okay? You cannot care about what poor people think or about the outcome of poor people's lives if you don't care about whether or not they're allowed to vote and thinking that somehow you are on the side of the poor and the poor just vote Democrat. So it's not a big deal is not true. It's not honest. It's not moral. And it's not good enough. If critics on the right were to restate these complaints now, it is likely that tech platforms would ban them or otherwise constrain their free discussion. The same media outlets would likely characterize these claims and concerns as unfounded. Again, 100% true. That is so meaningful. That matters, okay? Literally the things that these same news sites said a year ago are not allowed to be posted now. 
I wonder, actually, it would be interesting to see if Twitter would take these quotes down, even if the article was linked. Like, take one of these quotes from the New York Times about Dominion voting machines, post the link to the New York Times article, no commentary besides that, and see if it gets banned. I mean, it would certainly be shadow banned. And speaking of shadow banning, there was a tweet that Catherine Herridge posted yesterday of a CBS News report, like on television. And in the middle of the report, they talk about how Twitter was legitimately shadow banning people last summer. Now, they pretend they don't do that. But then they straight up admit that they do. Because they know that their audience wants them to do it and wants them to do it more. That's insane. They lie about the censorship they're doing, and then they are just brazenly admitting that they do it because they know that their side doesn't give two shits because they don't say anything that the media is not okay with. Consider that. They don't worry about getting blocked or banned at all because they know that they are saying the slogans. They are repeating the slogans. The fact that they never make that connection, oh, I could never get banned because I'm repeating the slogans. (laughs) And they don't realize what they're doing. Like, you're basically admitting at that point, as soon as you have the thought, like, I couldn't be banned, you're admitting that you believe everything you're told to believe. There's virtually no chance that you're going to say something unacceptable because you have no unacceptable beliefs. Everything you believe goes right along. It's incre- It really is incredible, man. I'm, I'm, I'm like continually amazed about this stuff every day that otherwise seemingly intelligent people could be so, so ignorant to the most basic operations of their own mind. Moving down to the next section, sue and settle smuggles in major change to mail-in. Democrats use various strategies to implement changes to voter laws in order to limit election integrity or make it more difficult for election overseers and observers to detect election fraud. One of the approaches is termed sue and settle. Perkins Coie, the law firm that also ordered what became the Russian collusion hoax against Trump in 2016, runs an extremely well-funded and highly coordinated operation to alter how U.S. elections are run. The firm will sue states and get them to make agreements that alter their voting practices. Okay, so so I've discussed this before, and Phil Klein from the Amistad Project, that press conference that he did last December, watch that. He talks about these friendly lawsuits. The intention of the suit isn't actually to do anything other than get the law changed, but the person, the party being sued is already okay with that settlement. So the suit is only a way of going around the law to, to legalize something that the legislature would not approve. Does that make sense? I hope it does. And then just yesterday, I was talking about how they actually organize these things considering the legal consequences of their decisions. Like people assume that they're just doing things 
and then a lawsuit might happen and then we'll see how it goes. No, they are planning for the lawsuits. They are trying to navigate a way to get the fraudulent election they desire by going around the law and abusing the legal system. It's it's planned. It's not like it's just all happening in the moment. It's laid out in advance. Mark Elias, well known for his role in the Russian collusion hoax and other Democrat operations, runs the campaign to change voting laws and practices to favor Democrats. Perkins Coie billed the Democrat Party at least $27 million for its efforts to radically change voting laws ahead of the 2020 election. More than double what they charged Hillary Clinton and the, D- and the DNC for similar work in 2016. Elias was sanctioned in federal court just yesterday for some shenanigans related to a Texas election integrity case. In March, Raffensperger voluntarily agreed to a settlement in federal court with various Democrat groups which had sued the state over its rules for absentee voting. The end result was a dramatic alteration in how Georgia conducted the 2020 election. That's exactly what I was just speaking to. Republicans were not party to the agreement, despite their huge interest in the case. The agreement explicitly states that neither Raffensperger nor the Democratic groups who sued him take a position on whether the laws and procedures being changed were constitutional or not. Isn't that amazing? They're not sure. They're not taking a position. Well, why would you have to not take a position if the changes were constitutional? Right? You'd just be like, oh yeah, these changes are constitutional. Not, I have no position. Well, you know what? I don't know if these are are constitutional or not. Isn't that itself just an admission of a problem? This stuff is wild, man. Democrats' high-powered attorneys introduced several significant changes, such as the opportunity to, quote, cure ballots. That means that when an absentee ballot comes in with problems that would typically lead it to be trashed, the voter is instead given a chance to cure or correct the ballot. It also said Democrats would offer training and guidance on signature verification to county registrars and absentee ballot clerks. Isn't that interesting? Most importantly, the settlement got rid of any meaningful signature match. The law had previously required signatures to match the signature on file with the voter registration database. But the settlement allowed the signature to match any signature on file, including the one on the absentee ballot application. That meant a fraudulently obtained ballot would easily have a signature match and no way to detect fraud. Now, again, right, we have private outside corporations. Companies, groups, whatever. Rock the vote, etc. With access to the voter registration database and the ability to put new registrants into the database. Right? On those registrations, they can have whatever signature they want. Because who's checking? Oh yeah, it's no one. And then the ballots go out everywhere. And then they get the ballot back. And the signature is the same as on the application or the registration. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's fine. You don't even have to be a person to vote at this point. You understand that? They can just invent voters and then invent votes. And no, that's not a conspiracy. I'm literally telling you the process by which that can happen. 
And we know it can happen, okay? I don't even think anybody denies that it can happen. What they say is, you're racist if you say that that's not okay. Because apparently, black people can't get IDs, black people can't sign their names to things, and like Joe Biden says, black people can't use the internet. Really? Yeah. We're the racist ones, for sure. I mean, this sentence is amazing. That meant a fraudulently obtained ballot would easily have a signature match and no way to detect fraud. The ballot could only be rejected if a majority of registrars, deputy registrars, and ballot clerks agreed to it. Another burden that made it easier to just let all ballots through without scrutiny. It made a huge difference in how many ballots were rejected. Raffensperger's decision to voluntarily agree to such a dramatic change in the rules of the game without input from the Republican Party of Georgia, much less the Republican National Committee, angered many Republicans, including Senators Kelly Leffler and David Perdue, as they learned about it following the November 2020 election. Other Republicans felt he harmed election integrity by mailing out millions of absentee ballot applications, ostensibly because of health concerns related to COVID-19. But of course, we all know that is bullshit. There was no COVID-19 concern about in-person voting, right? Anthony Fauci in August said that if you can go out and do your errands, you can go to the store, then you can go vote. He said that. Lord Fauci, St. Fauci. God of magic, scientific wonders. He said that. Then on election day, the CDC said that you should go out and vote in person if you haven't voted, even if you have a current COVID infection. They said that. The science said that. But all these laws, they had to be changed for COVID. Election day drama. This brings us to Election Day. Because so many people had voted by mail or otherwise early, the in-person voting was fairly routine with just a few problems here and there. But one major problem was with counting votes. Shocker. A major processing center in Fulton, the state's most populous county, claimed at one point to have trouble counting ballots in the evening because of a burst pipe or even, some officials said, a water main break. It turned out it was actually a minor urinal leak that had occurred that morning and hadn't disrupted anything. Things only got weirder. That night, an election official curiously announced that they were closing up shop for the evening, even though there were tons of ballots left to count. As workers closed their counting operations and many began to leave, the news media and other election observers left. The news media reported they'd been told the ballot counting would stop. Even though Fulton publicly said they were stopping the count, they didn't stop counting ballots. Republicans who were already frustrated that they weren't near enough to properly observe the counting were outraged and cried foul when they discovered they'd been misled and encouraged to leave. Election officials denied wrongdoing. A video came out corroborating the claims of Republican poll watchers and the media about being told the counting would stop. The video also showed ballots being pulled out from under a table and other suspicious actions that led many observers to question the integrity of the operation. Fulton County and Georgia's Secretary of State officials poo-pooed the concerns or claimed without providing a report or substantive rebuttal that they'd looked into the situation and found nothing problematic. And again, that's what the media has done as well. They say, oh, these claims have been debunked. These claims have been debunked. Really? By whom? Can I see the debunking? Oh, it's just Raffensperger and that tool Gabriel Sterling or whatever his name was. Sperling? I'm not sure which one it was. It was them saying it wasn't true. 
That's the debunking. Oh, election officials in Georgia and even the secretary of state's office have claimed that these things are invalid. And you can believe them because they're Republicans. What? Then why don't we believe everything else Republicans say? Communists? Like Republicans wouldn't say something that would not go along with the conservative agenda, would they? Yeah, that's impossible. Because everyone who has Republican next to his name or her name has the same exact agenda all the time. They would never, ever go off course from that and say something that only increased their personal power or prevented them from spending the rest of their lives in prison, right? So, of course, very legitimate. For context, the shutdown, or not, of the counting of ballots was at the point in the evening when people nationwide were realizing that the media's polls purporting to show that Biden would win the election significantly and easily were false. Trump had won Florida big. He had won Ohio big. He had won Iowa big. He was performing better than the polls had told people he'd perform. And he was up big in Georgia, too. Many days after the election, with ballots taking an extremely long time to count, Biden began taking a small lead in the Georgia race, a secret, well-funded cabal of left-wing groups, as Time magazine would later describe them, had told allies in the media to prepare for a situation where Trump was ahead bigly on election night, but Biden pulled ahead as the days dragged on. It was part of the Democrat strategy. But for Republicans already concerned about the inherent lack of election integrity associated with mail-in ballots, the questionable security and chain of custody problems associated with rampant use of ballot drop boxes, these are the Zuckerberg boxes, the large outside funding of vote processes by tech oligarchs, and all the other problems wrought by voting and counting ballots over a period of many weeks, if not months, the situation was deeply alarming. Even without all these changes, average Americans' ability to trust an election is free and fair, is one of the most important and basic things that preserves the republic. In 2020, election officials who were introducing radical changes at the same time scrutiny was being done away with were playing with fire. All that being said, Biden was looking like he had won Georgia by enough of a margin to make any challenges a heavy lift. A serious lawsuit is filed. While conspiracy theories about election fraud went wild during this time, ranging from the New York Times' claim that there was no election fraud anywhere in the entire country to dramatic claims of a global conspiracy involving Venezuela and voting machines, the Trump campaign's official claims in the lawsuit on December 4th, 2020, were sober and serious. They weren't alleging foreign meddling or outside hacking, as the New York Times, Washington Post, Politico, and Atlanta Journal-Constitution warned just months earlier were serious concerns. That's a great paragraph. I mean, obviously, I don't agree about the first half because I don't think it's a conspiracy theory that there is a global operation going on to alter the result of the 2020 election. I don't think that at all. But what she's doing is setting up the fact that the New York Times, the Washington Post, Politico, and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution were propagating that conspiracy theory, quote unquote, before the election. So they are the conspiracy theorists, as always. They actually are conspiracy theorists because all of the stuff they report is made up. And I'm not going to get to it today, but hopefully I will maybe tomorrow. But Raheem Kassam, who I mentioned earlier, has a great piece at the National Pulse about how the entire conspiracy theory behind the January 6th Capitol riot is dead. 
He just breaks it down. It's great. It's a good read. You should go check it out if you haven't already. The Georgia Supreme Court had previously ruled that challengers to an election don't need to show definitive fraud with particular votes, just that there were enough irregular ballots or violations of election procedures to place doubt in the result. Judges never want to overturn the results of an election, but under Georgia law, the remedy for showing enough problems to cast doubt was that a new election be held. One was already scheduled in January for Senate runoff races. Trump's lawsuit argued that it appeared votes had come from 2,560 felons, 66,247 underage registrants, 2,423 people who were not on the state's voter rolls, 4,926 voters who had registered in another state after they registered in Georgia, making them ineligible. 395 people who cast votes in another state for the same election. 15,700 voters who had filed national change of address forms without re-registering. 40,279 people who had moved counties without re-registering. 1,043 people who claimed the physical impossibility of a P.O. box as their address. 98 people who registered after the deadline. And, among others... 10,315 people who were deceased on election day, 8,718 of whom had been registered as dead before their votes were accepted. Okay? That is a lot of votes. And none of that requires the, you know, wide-scale vote switching or the Dominion stuff. Unlike so much of the Trump campaign's legal efforts, outside observers agreed that this lawsuit was serious. The 64-page complaint is a linear, cogently presented description of numerous election law violations, apparently based on hard data. If true, the allegations would potentially disqualify nearly 150,000 illegal votes in a state that Biden won by 12,000. That quote is from the Never Trump National Review. But as legitimate as the lawsuit was, it entered a Kafka-esque world where it couldn't get heard. The election code in Georgia requires that an election contest has to be served to defendants by the sheriff. The clerk is supposed to quickly give special notice to the relevant sheriffs that it needs to be served, since election lawsuits need extremely quick resolution and require a hearing within 20 days. Lawyers for Trump had to keep asking the clerk to give that special notice to the sheriffs where the defendants lived. In one case, a county sheriff waited until the end of January 2021 before asking if he should serve it. At the same time, all sorts of attorneys associated with Elias and Perkins Coie began filing pro hoc vice requests where you ask to appear in court for a particular trial, even though you're not admitted to the bar in that state. The powerhouse attorneys began filing all sorts of special motions to dismiss, even before they were given permission. The Trump attorneys were responding anyway, just in case a court took those requests seriously. Fulton County Judge Constance Russell, assigned by lottery to the case, turned out to be ineligible because the law says the judge hearing the case can't be an active sitting judge from the county where the suit is filed. But before she left the case, she entered an interim order that the case was going to go on a normal procedural course, which means it will not be resolved anytime soon, as the Journal Constitution put it. The Trump team had filed their lawsuit with an emergency temporary restraining order request to prevent certification of the election. When Raffensperger certified the election, the Trump team withdrew their motion and filed a new emergency motion to decertify. With no hearing in sight, the Trump team, desperate to get a court date before the Electoral College convened, appealed to the Georgia Supreme Court, asking it to grant immediate review of that interim order, slow-walking the case, as well as the judge. 
That court said they couldn't do anything about the interim order because they lacked final jurisdiction. They did get a liberal senior judge from Cobb County, Adele Grubbs, to handle the case. She set a date for a hearing of January 8th, which was of no help to the Trump team as it was after January 6th when Congress would process the Electoral College vote. In the midst of all this, the Trump team also had a federal case before Judge Mark Cohen on January 5th. That case dealt with the Trump team's view that they had not gotten their day in Fulton County Superior Court, which they perceived as a due process violation. While he dismissed the case, noting that they'd soon have a hearing before Grubbs, Cohen also noted that the power and authority to do anything about the election dispute lies with Congress, not the court. All the lawsuits being filed over the country were being turned away by courts and dismissed for lack of standing. But this judge provided some direction by saying that the power regarding contesting the election lay with Congress and not the courts. Following Trump's phone call with Raffensperger's team on January 2nd, counsel for Raffensperger sent a letter saying that if the Trump team wanted access to the state's data in order to determine the merits of their claims about improper voting, they would have to drop their lawsuit. Quote, we are willing... We are still willing to cooperatively share information with you outside the pending litigation on the condition that all currently pending suits against the, the governor, the secretary of state and or the members of the state election board be voluntarily dismissed. Absent dismissal, we have no choice but to remain in a litigation posture and to continue resolving these disputes in court, wrote Christopher Anulowitz. Does that sound acceptable to anyone? They have to drop all the legal challenges in order to get the data, right? And then they're just going to give them the data that they want them to get. And they've made that clear, by the way. It was clear in the phone call that was recorded between Trump and Raffensperger, which was basically Raffensperger's attorney speaking the whole time, because Brad Raffensperger will not speak for himself. Again, this is another example of people diffusing accountability, right? So if it's the lawyer that said it, oh, well, it wasn't Brad Ravensburg that said it. It was just his lawyer speaking on his behalf. Kind of does a great job of taking away all the responsibility that way, doesn't it? The Trump team discussed whether to accept the offer. They decided to opt for the access to information. A letter from a Trump attorney said the offer was accepted and that we look forward to working and meeting with staff to receive the heretofore withheld November 3rd, 2020 election data, specifically mentioning expert reports, official election records, voter registration records, applications for absentee ballots, investigative reports, and other relevant data and information. The team suggested making a joint statement that the contest had been settled. Ravensburger's team opened the email immediately, but waited several hours to respond. And when they did, they claimed they'd never made an offer to share information, just that they wouldn't even consider discussing the matter unless the case was dropped. Unbelievable. Finally, the phone calls. This brings us back to the phone calls. We now know that the account of Trump's call to an investigator was based on false quotes. Another call with Raffensperger was also leaked to the press to harm those who opposed Raffensperger's handling of the election days before another pivotal election. Much of the angst over the calls was about Trump saying that he needed the secretary of state to, quote, find votes. This was always characterized as him asking Raffensperger to commit fraud or do something unethical. It even made it into the article of impeachment that the Democrats supported. Anyone familiar with the lawsuit knew Trump was saying his team had already found nearly 150,000 irregular or fraudulent votes and simply needed 
the Secretary of State's office to agree. He was saying they didn't need to agree that all 150,000 were bad, just that fewer than 10% of them were problematic because that would be enough to overturn the election. That's what he said. That's what he meant. If you listen to it, it's obvious to any normal person. The Secretary of State and his team kept asserting that Trump's figures were wrong. Trump's legal team kept asking Raffensperger to provide the state data and information that would enable them to see for themselves. For some reason, Raffensperger and his team have never been willing to share their data or reports. That is damning, okay? In a normal world, that would be the biggest story of the year. Georgia's Secretary of State refuses to share voting election data with the president of the United States of America to cover up widespread election changing election fraud. That's the headline. That's what people should think about this story by itself. Just this, just this would be the story of the year. People would actually win Pulitzers for discovering this. Except not in the communist regime. Not in the state media, because that's not how it works in the state media. A secretary of state will not share election data in a lawsuit about an election for president of the United States of America. That's bananas. Fox News' Martha McCallum asked Ravensburger directly if he authorized the leak of the second call, and he repeatedly refused to answer the question. The leak happened just days before a closed Senate race that Republicans would lose. And Ravensburger admitted to McCallum that it coincided with his anger at Republican Senator David Perdue, who he blamed for animosity directed at his wife after Perdue called for him to resign. Unbelievable. He is personally insulted. So he just decides not to do his job. Jordan Fuchs, the deputy, the deputy secretary of state, has also been fingered as being involved in both of those leaks. And the Washington Post said she agreed to be named as the source of the quotes on the former call. Fuchs has no background in election management or experience running an organization, but she was Raffensperger's campaign manager in 2018. And I'm adding this. And then he appointed her deputy secretary of state. That might explain why she has run the office more as a campaign shop. Even the mildest of criticisms of her boss and their office meet brutal pushback, which has caused a serious deterioration with the legislature and many Republicans, even before the last few months. Fuchs's Twitter account isn't quite as unhinged as Jen Rubin's or Bill Kristol's, but it's pretty close. There are few never-Trumpist arguments she avoids, and she shares the media's newfound talking point that the election fraud is, quote, a big lie. It doesn't exactly build confidence that she knows what she's doing or is able to separate her emotions from her work or is able or is capable of understanding legitimate complaints with how she manages elections. For months, the Trump team tried desperately to get a hearing in court to make their case, and the court dockets prove that. In fact, they kept getting into trouble for how aggressively they were trying to get a hearing. Trump's attorneys were on record saying they wanted the hearing so they might get access to Raffensperger's information. The information was really what they were after. They issued a statement 
saying Raffensperger's office, quote, has made many statements over the past two months that simply are not correct. And everyone involved with the efforts on behalf of the president's election challenge has said the same thing. Show us your records on which you rely to make these statements that our numbers are wrong, end quote. Raffensperger's office finally said after that infamous phone call that they'd share state data and information, quote, on the condition that the Trump team dropped their lawsuit. They agreed to that. Instead of turning over the data that would settle the issue, Fuchs and Raffensperger issued a, a press release that said, quote, on the eve of getting the day in court they supposedly were begging for, President Trump and Chairman David Schaefer's legal team folded Thursday and voluntarily dismissed their election contests against Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger rather than submit their evidence to a court and to cross-examination. You see that? That's incredible. That is a blatant lie. And they're telling that to the public. And then the media runs with that to imply that there was no validity to the Trump case. It showed just how political Raffensperger and Fuchs are. While the media strongly support Raffensperger, at least until such time as a Republican wins in Georgia again, the concern about the integrity of the election remains. Perhaps Raffensperger is completely and totally correct, but it would behoove him to share the data that proves that rather than issue antagonistic and uncharitable press releases while sitting on the information that could settle the issue. As for the media, they're doing what they always do, advancing a political agenda, believing their characterization of lawsuits, phone calls, or anything else they report on is unwise. But it wasn't just the quotes they got wrong about Georgia. It was pretty much everything. That is a great, great piece. This is the sort of thing that you can share with redeemable communists. And if they read it, they will ch quickly change their mind about election fraud. Okay, this explains how it happens, which is something that they still do not somehow understand at all. So apologies for the length of this episode. I don't know if people like the longer episodes or like the shorter episodes when I was trying to keep it to around a half an hour. Basically, now I'm kind of just aiming to keep it under one hour. But please give me some feedback on that on the Telegram channel, on the discussion thread which you can link to simply by going to the information stream at t.me slash I'm your moderator. I will be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please 
Follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate, or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the range. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!